Well, amen. I was sharing with your pastor there. It should have been talking, I suppose, but I look back to him at uh, Brother Aaron. Uh, you don't hear this type of worship in the churches that I go to. And this is just a, y'all are different. Y'all don't realize how blessed you are. Amen. And amen. It's good. And, uh, I will be in 44 different revivals or crusades this year, so I just sort of gives you an idea. You don't hear this. And uh, man, y'all are blessed. It made me want to make a few rounds around the church. Uh, man, it's, it's good. And uh, thank you so much. And Lanny, mm, you're good, girl. Amen. Bless my heart, and thank you so much. And thank you so much for allowing me to get to be back. I, got, I had to miss last year being here with all the pandemic and all of the COVID and everything. A year ago, this next week, Rosita and I both had the COVID. Not bad, but we had it. And then in January and February, we had our, our vaccinations. And then four or five weeks ago, we had our booster. So when you turn the lights off, we're going to glow. And, uh, but it's uh, been a great, great year, and God is really, really blessed. And I shared with you, Pastor, the last uh, two months especially, we've seen more people saved in the last two months than we've seen in any two months in years. And uh, God has just been moving. So uh, thankful for that. And then uh, I'll share more of this about it a little bit later, but we've already been to Ethiopia twice this year. Uh, back in May and June, we saw a little over 105,000 people saved in those two weeks. And then in August and September, there were just four of us went. Rosita and I went, and then another pastor, Charles Thomas, out of Atlanta, and his wife went. We had a little over 51,000 people saved. And then, and then in the last five years, I've been going more than that, but particularly the last five years, this is not my numbers. This was the numbers from the Ebenezer ministry that we work with. In the times that we've been over, the last five years, we've actually seen now over 750,000 people saved in the last five years. And so uh, God is really, really moving in that southern sector of Ethiopia. And uh, I like the old Henry Blackaby uh, saying, you know, find where God is moving and get in on it. And so that's really what, what we've been doing. So, again, thank you, preacher, for allowing me to get to be here, and thank you, church. This is one of my, and I don't say this everywhere, this is one, if not one of my favorite churches I love to go to. I just love to come here. And you're all a sort of family. Uh, so thank you for allowing me to get to be back with you. Take your Bibles now and open them to the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, this is a little different message than I normally preach. I normally preach more of a salvation message, but uh, this is a message that's just showing the conditions of the church in these last days and calling us for revival. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Now, if you're ready for the Word of God, say amen. amen. And unto the angel, that is the messenger, the pastor of the church, the letter of sins, Write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. 
I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou saith, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And then that verse that we quote so often, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, reach up there. He that hath an ear, you got an ear? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, I do pray that we will hear now what the Spirit of God has to say. Lord Jesus, shut out every other voice that would seek our attention. And may we only have ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. God, I pray for that person that would be in this building that's nearest to hell. I pray the day they'll come to Christ and be saved. Also, Lord, I pray for we who are saved. God, I pray that, that we leave here on fire for the Lord Jesus. Set our hearts on fire for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. Spirit of God, move in this place today. And when the invitation is extended, may people respond to your call to this altar. May your perfect will be accomplished. May the name of Jesus be honored. In Christ's name I pray. And all God's people say, Amen. The book of the Revelation is divided into three main divisions. The outline for the Revelation is found in Revelation 1.19, where the Bible says, Write to things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now in that verse, you find the three main divisions of this book. The first division is found in that phrase, write the things which thou hast seen. That's chapter 1. And John has seen a vision of the glorified Christ. And as you look at chapter 1, you're going to discover that. And then the second main division is in that Phrase and the things which are. That's chapters 2 and chapters 3, where he speaks about the churches, the seven churches. And then the third main division is found in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and the things which shall be hereafter. And from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through the remainder of the book, that's in the future. That's after the rapture of the church. You read there in Revelation 4, 1, that's a picture of the rapture. And so everything, as you study this book, understand that it's in the future. That's the full milk, full pill it's going to be. Now there's truths in those chapters that are applicable for today. But the actual fulfillment is going to be in the future. 
Now, the passage which I've read here today is found in that second main division. The things which are, where we're told about the seven churches and their different interpretation of these seven churches. Some say that they were merely symbolic. I do not believe that. I believe that they were literal, actual churches. You could have visited them. You could have experienced the worship service like we have here uh, today. But most uh, conservative Bible scholars also believe that these seven churches represent the different divisions of church history. And that being the case, this church at Laodicea being the last church represents the church just before the rapture of the church. This is picturing what the church is going to be like in these last days. This is picturing the apostasy, which I believe that we're living in today. And so this church is really a picture of the church we are living in today. Now, folks, the Bible says we don't set a date or time, but I'll tell you what, as I look at the Bible, it says we ought to be packing up our bags because His coming is very near. What was this church like? What is the church like today? Let me give you three main truths that we find from this passage. Number one, the Laodicean church is bound in their indifference. Notice verse 15 and verse 16. The Bible says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Jesus said, I'd rather that you be cold or hot than to be lukewarm. Can you believe that? Jesus said, in essence, I'd rather that you be out and out against me than to be lukewarm in your indifference. The average church today is bound in a sickening indifference. The average church could care less about spiritual matters. They could care less about spiritual priorities. They could care less about spiritual doctrine. They are bound in their indifference. Now, let me just show you several areas where this indifference is seen. First of all, we have an indifference to the authority of the Savior. Now, look at the very word, Laodicea. It comes from two different Greek words. The first part of that word comes from laos. You can see that's where we get our word laity from, the people. And then the last part of that word comes from a word that means government or rule. And so here was a church that was ruled, that was governed, that was run by the people. You say, well, isn't that the way the church is to be run today? No way. No way. The deacons are not to run the church. The committees are not to run the church. No family or group of families are to run the church. You say, well, what about the pastor? Well, the pastor is the human leader that God puts in the church. You see, he is the under-shepherd, under the chief shepherd, and he gets his directions as he leads the church from the chief shepherd. Amen? 
But you see, Jesus runs his church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. Jesus is the boss of the church. Jesus calls the shots in the church. I heard about a young pastor who went to pastor his uh, first church. And uh, he'd been there a couple of months, and finally the church boss showed up. Y'all know what I mean? Most churches have at least one who thinks he is the church boss. I hope you don't have one, but most churches have at least one. And uh, he came in to this young pastor, and he said, young man, said, I don't know if you've discovered it or not, but I, I sort of call the shots around here. And he said, if you'll play ball with me, I'll play ball with you. And the young pastor began to laugh. And it made the man mad. He said, what are you laughing about? He said, well, I've been taught my whole life. I'm to trust Christ. When I got saved, I was to trust Christ. In my Christian life, I was to trust Christ. When God called me to preach, I was to trust Christ. When I came to pastor of this church, I was to trust Christ. And now you come along and you say, I'm to trust you. And he said, I got to thinking, what if you were to up and die? What a mess I'd be in. <laughs> Listen, Jesus is to run the church. But so many churches today could care less about what Jesus has to say about what we're to do, how we're to act, how we're to live. And in essence, they say, no, Jesus is going to pull the strings in our church. We're going to do what we want to do. There's an indifference to the authority of the Savior. And then secondly, there's an indifference to the accuracy of Scripture. You say, what's the big deal about the Bible? I'll tell you what the big deal is. It's going to determine whether you're saved or lost. If all we've got is the word of men, we're in trouble. But this is the inspired, the inerrant, the infallible, the perfect word of God. You say, well, why is the Bible so important? Well, it's going to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. Listen, I wouldn't walk across the street to listen to a man preach that does not believe the Bible. I wouldn't sit five minutes under a preacher that does not believe the Bible as the Word of God. We need men in our pulpits today, and thank God you've got one. We need men in our pulpits today who will take their stand on the Word of God. Amen? Listen, we've got too many of these little mama-called daddy-sent preachers today. They've got lace on their underwear. <laughs> they smell like Avon. They've got fingernail polish on their fingernails. Uh, they've got a noodle for a backbone. They're tiptoeing through the tulip bed. They're effeminate. Listen, we got too many of these little uh, preacherettes who preach their sermonettes, the Christianettes, who go outside and smoke their cigarettes. And they drive their Corvettes. Uh, you want me to go a little further? You want me to go a little further? And they look like majorettes. <laughs> you want me to tell you what we need today? We need some old-fashioned, God-called, Holy Ghost-filled, leather-lung preachers of the Word of God. Yeah. That's what we need in our day. 
You say, well, preacher, I believe the Bible as the Word of God. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you saturating your very soul with the Word of God? Do you spend more time, don't raise your hand, do you spend more time on the Internet than you do the Bible? Do you believe everything that you read on the Internet? Do you believe everything you read in the Bible? Well, why do you spend more time on that which you don't believe than that which you do believe and you know that's true? Amen? I mean, there's an indifference to the accuracy of the Scripture. And then thirdly, there is an indifference to the anointing of the Spirit. Now, in the Baptist church, and I, I'm a Baptist, so I can talk to us. I can, I know us Baptists. We don't talk much about the Holy Ghost. I mean, most of us Baptists, we think the Holy Ghost is for those other people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, we, we call them holy rollers. Hey, listen, if there's anybody that needs the Holy Ghost, we Baptists need the Holy Ghost. Amen. I mean, how long has it been since you've seen someone come to this altar and cry out and say, God, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit? How long has it been since you've seen someone come and say, God, I'm a total failure. I can't go any further in my own power. God, unless you do something beyond what I have, I'm in a mess. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord is the one of me to preach. I should never stand in this pulpit and try to preach unless I can say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord is the one of me to preach. Whenever you preach, Brother Charles, you ought to be able to say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord is the one of me to preach. Brother Aaron, when you lead in worship, you ought to be able to say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord is the one of me to lead in this worship. When you teach that Sunday school class, you ought to be able to say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to teach this class. I mean, whatever you do in the service of God, you ought to be able to say, the Spirit of God is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to do this or to do that. Ephesians 5, 18, be not drunk with wine where it is success, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the first part of that verse says, be not drunk with wine where it is success. I mean, Brother Charles were to stumble into the pulpit drunk one Sunday morning. I guarantee you the deacons would have a meeting. <laughs> Amen? You ought to. I mean, you don't want a drunk preacher, do you? But that same verse that says, be not drunk with wine, where is it excess, also says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you're concerned about him being drunk with wine, you ought to be concerned whether he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, and literally saying, be you being filled. Keep on being filled. Keep on being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to hear what I'm going to say. I love my home church. And it may not have been their fault. It may have been my fault. Maybe I didn't listen. Maybe I didn't hear. But as I look back on my life, I can never remember anything really being said in my home church about being filled with the Spirit. Now, they may have preached it. 
maybe I just didn't listen. Okay, y'all understand. Maybe I just didn't listen. I was called to preach when I was eight, 17 years old. Went through college. I missed two Sundays preaching in four years of college. My last year of college, I preached 16 revivals, took a full load of classes, drove a school bus every day, Monday through Friday, morning and evening. And I'll be honest with you, I'd give out. Y'all know what I mean? I've come to the end of myself. I'd give and give and give. And I've, I'd come to the end of myself. I was empty, just empty. I got a hold of a book by Dr. R.A. Torrey on how to attain the fullness of power. I never will forget reading that book, and one of the chapters was on the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I began to read that chapter. I'd never read anything like that in my life. And he began to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you remember uh, Dr. Torrey even would interchange sometimes the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I, I began to read that. And I said, God, if that's true, if that's real, and I read the passages and go and traced it down. And I said, God, if that's, if that's really true, I've got to have that. And I never will forget getting there in the back bedroom of our little apartment where we lived on campus and getting down on my face there in that back bedroom and crying out and saying, oh God, if this is real, God, if this is real, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I didn't see lightning. Nothing strange necessarily happened. But I knew when I stood up, I was different. I was different. And really, my ministry changed from that point on through the years. Now, there have been many, many, many times that I've had to go back for a fresh filling and cry out, for the filling. Listen, that's what the Baptist church needs today. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on the Holy Ghost to move in our midst. We need the fresh filling of the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. And then, not only that, but also there is an indifference to the attendance in the sanctuary. Now, I'm not a make or mad preacher. I, I don't want to make you mad. I promise you. I do not want to make you mad. But you cannot be a good Christian and not be faithful in your church attendance. Let me say that again. You cannot be a good Christian and not be faithful in your church attendance. Now, I'm not talking about if you're sick. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the pandemic and COVID. I understand all that stuff, okay? I understand all that stuff. But let me tell you this much. If you can go to Walmart, you can come to church. If you can go to a ball game, you can come to church. We need each other. We're the body. I need you. You need me. And in order for a church to be healthy, the whole body needs to show up. Amen? We need, we need to be here. Listen, if some of you wives and husbands were as unfaithful to your wife and husband as you are to the house of God, you'd get divorced before this week's over. If you were to be as unfaithful to your job as you are to the house of God, they'd fire you before this week's over. 
One of my friends, he's a friend, dear friend. I bird hunt with him. And we're friends. He's a member of Bellevue Baptist Church, where I'm a member of. And um, sometime back, he made a statement to me, and I totally disagreed with him. He's made a statement. He said, you know, so I've got so used to watching Brother Steve. Brother Steve Gaines, our pastor at Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. He said, I've got so used to watching him on the Internet that I can sit there at my table on Sunday morning, drink my coffee, and have my pajamas on. And he said, I don't believe I'll ever go back to church. That's wrong. That's wrong. Amen? Amen. We need each other. And then also, there is an indifference to the assignment of stewardship. Now, I know a lot of people have a great distaste for a preacher to ever say anything about tithing or stewardship. But I would not be true to the Word of God, and I would not be true to you if I did not give you the blessing and also the warnings in regards to tithing and stewardship. The Bible says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse, according to the Corinthians, is the local church. Amen? A tithe is 10%. A tithe is one dime out of every dollar. Correct? That's what the word tithe means. Brother Charles, have you ever had anybody say, well, preacher... I tithe 5%. No, you don't. A tithe is 10%. One dime out of every dollar. That's a tithe. Have you ever had somebody make this statement? Well, preacher, I just have a hard time figuring up my tithe. You liar. <laughs> you hypocrite. Listen, if somebody owed you a dime, you wrote it down somewhere. You say, well, all you're interested in is my money. No, that's all you're interested in. You, you don't give the tithe to Don Whip. You don't send your tithe to Franklin Graham. You don't send your tithe to some radio or television preacher. But your tithe is to be brought to your local church. Now, if y'all don't shout amen like a lot better than that, I'll preach until the sun comes up in the morning. Amen. <laughs> right. And the Bible says, will a man rob God? Wherein have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Listen, when you refuse to tithe, you are a thief. You're a God robber. Listen, some of you live in houses that was bought with stolen money. Some of you drove cars to church today that were paid for with stolen money. You've got clothes on this morning that were bought with stolen money. You say, well, that, that tie business, that's, that's for those Jews back there under the law. We're Christians under grace. May I help you? Listen, for a Christian under grace to allow a Jew under law, to give more than a Christian does under grace is a disgrace to grace. Let me say that again. For a Christian under grace to allow a Jew under law to give more than a Christian does under grace is a disgrace to grace. Guys, let's just get honest. Let's just get honest. It doesn't belong to you. Not really. It doesn't belong to you. You say, well, that's my house. Not really. Not really. I mean, one of these days you're going to kick the bucket. 
and your wife's going to marry some old carnal man, and he's going to move into that house that you bought, he's going to drive your cars, he's going to drive your truck, he's going to go fishing in your fishing boat. I mean, he's going to go play golf with your golf clubs. I mean, really, it's not yours. And you see, the very thing that you've sold your soul for, one day it's going to end up on the junk pile of the world. Everything you've got is just premature junk. And the only thing that's going to last is that which you have invested in the things of Christ. Amen? Amen. That's right. You see, and then also there is an indifference to the activity of soul winning. You don't hear much talk today about soul winning in the church. We'll talk about we're going to develop relationships and we're going to try to uh, mentor. I understand all that. But the Bible says he that wins souls is wise. We need to get back to some old-fashioned soul winning in our churches. You remember years ago when we'd have soul winning training classes and we'd go out knocking on doors and people get saved. It still works. It still works if you just do it. You know, it's amazing to me that the average church is interested in everything in the world other than winning souls today. And our baptisms are proving it. I mean, our convention baptisms, I mean, is at the lowest it's been in years after years. We're more interested in our activities and our ball games than we are winning souls. You see, you don't mean that. I double-dog mean it. I mean, we'll go to a ball game, hoop and holler like a bunch of Comanche Indians, and then come here on Sunday morning and sit like a bunch of dead wooden Indians. I mean, we'll, we'll drive 300 miles, pay $500 on a Saturday afternoon to go watch a college ball game, and we won't even walk across the street to tell that lost man how to be saved. Listen, you don't pay the evangelist to come and do your soul winning for you. You don't pay your pastor to do your soul winning for you. You've got to do your soul winning. We've got to do our soul winning. Jesus said, as my Father sent me, even so send I you. We're all to be witnesses. We're all to share our story. Amen? Listen, they're out there. They're just out there. I could give you story after story after story not just preaching in the pulpit like I am right now. They're just out there. They're out there. A few years ago, our buddy, Mark Hubble, I was preaching down for Brother Mark. I preached there that morning, Port Arthur. That afternoon, I made my way back to the hotel. And, you know, any good preacher has to take a nap on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I got back to the hotel, and I won't take my nap, and, and, but I walked in my room. It was still messed up. And so I walked back out to the hall and said something to the maid about come straight my room up. I wanted to lay down. And she walked on in. She propped the door open. Her name was Mercedes. And so she came on in. I sat over on the couch. And she began to make up the bed. And I said, Mercedes, when you get finished, I'd like to ask you a, a couple of questions. She, she said, okay. 
So she finished cleaning up the room, and I didn't mean for her to do this. She came over and sat on the couch right next to me. <laughs> and I, I looked at her. I said, Mercedes, let me ask you two questions. I said, when you go to church, where do you go? She said, I really don't go to church very much. I said, that's okay, that's okay. I said, um, second question, do you know for sure if you were to die, you'd be with God in heaven? She said, I don't know that. I said, would you like to know that? She said, I sure would. So sitting on that couch, I went through the gospel with her, and she was wonderfully saved. I didn't mean for her to do this, Aaron. I did not mean for her to do this, but all of a sudden, she jumped on my neck. Begin to jump up and down after she got saved. And I thought, oh, Lord, there's going to be a camera in here. <laughs> They're going to put it on Facebook, and I'm going to be ruined. <laughs> I went that night and told Brother Mark about Mercedes being saved, that he needed to follow up with her. He said, okay. A couple months later, I was back out of here preaching outside Beaumont. And uh, one night, Brother Mark was sitting back there in the auditorium, and I ran back to him. And I said, Brother Mark, tell me about Mercedes. How's Mercedes doing? And he just sort of held his head down like that. I knew. I knew he'd forgot. So I didn't push it. I backed off. Flew back on Thursday. And Friday night, Brother Mark called me. He said, Don, when you came back to me there at the revival the night, he said, I, I was embarrassed because he said, I forgot it. I forgot to go by. But he said, this morning I went by there. And he said, I would talk to the front desk clerk. And I asked him, Does you have a Mercedes that works here? They said, are you talking about that Mercedes that found Jesus? And he said, well, I, yeah, I guess that's who I'm talking about. And she said, everybody in this hotel knows that Mercedes found Jesus. Said, we don't know what that man did to her in that room that day. <laughs> said, we don't know whether he baptized her or what he did, but everybody in this hotel knows that Mercedes found Jesus. Listen, they're out there. They're out there. Two weeks ago, we were uh, in Meridian, Mississippi, on Tuesday, we went out to eat. Rosita and I went out to eat. We led uh, Tina to the Lord. On Wednesday, our waitress was named Tuesday. <laughs> and I was able to share the plan of salvation with Tuesday, and Tuesday got saved on Wednesday. <laughs> oh, listen, they're out there. Just day after day, they're out there. Amen? Take advantage of it. But you see, the church today is bound in their indifference. Now, don't get a heart attack. The next two points are shorter than the first one put together, okay? Number two, a Lazarusian church is boastful in their independence. Notice the last part there, on down in verse 17. He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Doesn't that sound like the average church today? We've got everything we need, we've got our beautiful buildings. We've got our budgets. We've got our programs. We don't need God. Historians tell us that uh, Laodicea was the banking center of that region. And the historians tell us there was an earthquake that came through that region and destroyed all those cities. And all the other cities looked to Rome, federal government, for help. But not Laodicea. We are rich. We're increased with goods. We can do it ourselves. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like the average church today? We don't need the Holy Ghost. We don't need the power of God. 
We can handle this by ourselves. Now, I want you to hear what I'm going to say. I thought a lot about this. The average church member attends church based on social convenience rather than spiritual conviction. You want me to say that again? The average church member attends church based on social convenience rather than spiritual convictions. That's where my family goes. That's where my friends go. I mean, I can go there and that preacher preaches. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't trouble me. Doesn't matter whether souls get saved. Doesn't matter whether the Word of God's preached or not. I just feel good when I go there. And then number three, a Laodicean church is blind to their iniquity. Notice there in verse 18, look on down toward the end of that verse. The Bible says there, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. The average church member today is blind to their own sin. Oh, they'll see everybody else's sin. You ever notice that? I mean, we, we don't steal money, but neither do you pay your debts. I don't commit adultery, but you sit in front of your television and get enjoyment watching those who do. I, I don't tell lies. Oh, I don't tell those big old lies. Oh, I might tell a little white lie. Listen, a lie is a lie. I, I don't commit fornication, but you tell jokes about those that do. I mean, you're blind to your own sin. Now, let me wrap it all up by saying this. Is there any hope for a, a church in these last days? I mean, is there any hope for a church in this age of apostasy to have the power of God, to experience revival? Thank God there is. Let me give you three things real quick. Number one, there must be repentance. Notice verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. The average Christian today needs an old-fashioned experience of repentance. Repentance is just getting right with God no matter who's there to see it happen. There must be repentance. And then there must be a rekindling. Notice he says there, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. That word zealous means come to a boil. Get on fire. Let me ask you a question. Was there ever a time in your life when you were more on fire for Jesus than you are right now? Was there ever a time in your life when you were more in love with Jesus than you are right now? Was there more ever a time when you wanted to have fellowship with Jesus more than you want it right now? Was there ever a time when... Bible reading and prayer was more precious to you than there is right now? Was there ever a time when you wanted to see souls saved and had a burden for souls than you have right now? I mean, was there ever a time when you were more on fire for Jesus than you are right now? If so, you're backslid and you need to come back to Jesus. There's repentance, there's rekindling, and then there's a revival. Notice verse 20 again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and will sup. That word sup means I will dine with him and he with me. Listen, if you don't like dining with Jesus down here, what makes you think you're going to enjoy dining with him up there? I mean, if you don't enjoy 
spending time with Jesus in Bible study and prayer down here, what makes you think you're going to enjoy spending time with them when you get to heaven? I mean, if you don't enjoy and seeing souls saved, how are you going to rejoice when you get to heaven? I mean, if you don't enjoy worship and praise and adoration down here, how in the world are you going to enjoy it when you get to heaven? Now, I'm just very simple-minded in this, Brother Aaron. I'm simple-minded. If I'm going to spend my eternity worshiping and praising and adoring and celebrating Jesus in heaven, I ought to practice up on it some down here. Amen? Man, I, we need to learn how to, we just need to learn how to rejoice. And again, it's not just for those other folks that get excited. We Baptists need to learn how to get excited. Amen? I was preaching in an African-American church a while back, Brother Chris Pipkin. He's been at that church 43 years now. And in Tresvent, Tennessee, there's not 100 people in Tresvent, but that church runs between three and 400. I mean, every African-American in West Tennessee, I believe they go there. I love preaching there. They about kill me. Y'all know what I mean? Uh, they about kill me. Uh, I can't sing. I, I can't carry a tune in the bucket. But I get to preaching there, and they, they get to singing it back to me. Y'all know what I mean? They get to singing it back to me, and I get in a singing mood. I mean, I get in the groove, and I, you know, just get in the groove and like that. And, and I, I got in the groove one night there. And I mean, you know, they sing it, and I sing it back to them. And there was this dear, dear little lady sitting right over here on this side. And all of a sudden, glory got all over her. And she jumped up, and she swirled around and began to dance. And all of a sudden, she ran around the auditorium. I just kept on preaching. After the service was over, two of my white brethren who were there that night, came up to me and said, Preacher, didn't, didn't that bother you when that woman ran that way? I said, goodness, no. I said, if I wasn't so out of shape, I'd run with her. Amen. Oh, listen, we need to learn how to praise and adore him. The Bible says in Revelation 19.4, when we get to heaven, we're going to be shouting out, Amen! Hallelujah! Amen? And we're going to lift up holy hands. So let's just practice on it. Won't hurt you. Here's how I'm going to ask you to do this. Let's just do it. I'm going to count one, two, three. And I want you to lift up both hands. Now, we Baptists a lot of time do one. Lift up both hands. <laughs> lift up both hands and shout out, Amen, Hallelujah. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Hallelujah. In a Baptist Woo. church. Woo. So when you get to heaven, you can say, Lord, at least I did it one time. <laughs> Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. If any man, any woman, any young person. Sometimes preachers will say to me, well, when all my deacons get right, we'll have revival. That ain't going to ever happen. <laughs> or sometimes they'll say, well, when all my Sunday school teachers get right, 
We'll have revival. That ain't going to ever happen. Or when our whole church really gets right with God, we're going to have revival. That ain't going to ever happen. I mean, Jesus said, if any man, any woman, any person will open that door and ask me to come in, I'll come in. Listen, if any person here today will say, Lord, I'm, that one, I'm going to be that one person. If nobody else, I'm going to be that one person. And I'm going to say, Lord, you come on in here. We're going to have revival. I'm going to get things right with you. Let me share this and I'll be finished. I told you about all the things happened in Ethiopia. And I, I was wondering why. Why is this happening? I mean, why is this happening in Ethiopia and not happening here in America? So on a Friday night, I was in the hotel. I wasn't preaching that night. And one of the African preachers, pastors came in and he asked me, he said, are you preaching tonight? And I said, no. He said, would you like to go preach at my prayer meeting tonight? I said, love to. I'd rather do that and sit here. And so I went out and got in his van. He took me across the city. We came up to his church. And understand when I say church, I'm talking about just a, a, a metal top on bamboo poles with canvas hanging off the side. And we opened up the van door, and you could hear him on the inside weeping and crying. I knew what they were doing. I couldn't understand their language, but I knew what they were doing. They were praying. And so I, I walked on in that church, and I saw over 4,000 people down on their face in the dirt, crying out, pleading for God to send revival. They didn't even know I was going to be there. But they did that every Friday night. Then I began to understand why we were seeing all those people getting saved out there in the markets, in the streets. Listen, when the people at Woodland Baptist Church really get that desperate and say, God, whatever you've got to do, you do it right here in my heart. God, I don't love you the way I used to. I'm not on fire like I used to be. Souls aren't as important to me as they used to be. I, I, need, I need revival. I, I, want, I want a fresh touch from heaven in my heart. God, I'm serious. You know, I'm convinced, Brother Charles, if you had one person or a few people who really got serious with God and said, God, what have you got to do? You do it right here in my heart. I believe you'd experience revival like you've never experienced. This church would experience revival. This church would reach this region for Christ. Brother Aaron, I'm not going to ask you to sing right now, okay? But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're here and you say, Preacher, I really need revival. I don't love Jesus perhaps the way I used to. My heart's not on fire like it used to be. Prayer and Bible reading is not as precious as it used to be. I, I really don't have a burden for souls like I used to have, but one thing I do, I want, I want God to do a fresh work in my life here today. And I'm going to draw a circle around in my life, and I'm going to say, God, if nobody else here today is going to experience revival, I'm going to.
And I'm going to open up that door and say, Jesus, do it right here in my heart today. Here's the invitation. You, you come. You can kneel, you can kneel. You can't kneel, just stand. If you can't stand, just be seated here on the front. But you say, I'm going to be that one person. I'm going to be that one person that's going to open up that door. And God, you do revival right here in my heart today. The invitation's open. You come. Just come. Just come right now. Step on out. Come. The altar's open. Out of the side, out of the balcony. Come on. Come on. All over the building. Come on. Come on. The altar's open. You come. Say, God, if nobody else is going to experience revival, I'm going to. This is for you. Come on. Don't let the devil cheat you. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him rob you of what God wants to do. You come. If you can kneel, you can kneel. If you can't kneel, just stand. If you can't do that, just be seated here on the front. And say, God, do it right here in my heart right now. Come on. All over the building. Come on. Come on. Step on out. Step out. Come. Come. Come on. Come on. Now, as these are here in the altar praying, you may be here and you say, Preacher, I don't just, I don't need revival. I need salvation. You say, I really don't know for sure if I were to die that I'd be with God in heaven. I can't say that I know for 100% certain if I died, I'd be with God in heaven. I'm going to ask you to let me lead you in a prayer right where you're sitting. And you say, God, I need to be saved. I want to know that I know that when I die, I'm going to be with God in heaven. And I'm going to ask you to let me lead you in a prayer right where you're sitting right now. And you make this your prayer where you ask God, forgive you of your sin and ask Jesus to come in your heart to save you. You may want to pray out loud. You may want to pray silently. But the main thing is you pray it in your heart. Pray it to God and really mean it. As a youngster, teenager, adult, maybe even as a church member, but you really don't know for sure you've been saved. I'm not asking you are you 99% certain. I'm asking you are 100% certain that if you were to die right now, you'd be with God in heaven. If you don't know for sure, let me lead you in that prayer right now. Just pray with me right where you're sitting. Pray with me right now. Will you do it? Just pray with me. Say, dear God, pray with me. Dear God, I know you love me. I know Jesus died for me on the cross. I know Jesus came out of that grave and he's alive. But God, I've sinned against you and I'm lost. And I cannot save myself. God, forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, come in my heart right now and save my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. Now, I'm going to ask every one of you that asked Jesus to save you the best you knew how just then. I'm going to ask you, if you will, just open your eyes, look up at me. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you prayed that prayer just then, just look up here at me. Just look up here at me. Did you pray that prayer? Okay. Did you pray that prayer, sweetheart? Just nod your head. Ma'am, sir, did you pray that prayer? Okay. Over here, did you pray that prayer? Girls, did you pray that prayer? God bless you. There, okay, in the balcony, okay. There, did you pray that prayer? Just nod your head, okay. Did you pray that prayer? Okay. Over here, 
Anyone over here? Okay. Over here, sir, did you pray that prayer? God bless you. Did you pray that prayer? Did you trust Christ? There in the top? Sweetheart, did you pray that prayer? Just nod their head. Anyone there? Okay, those of you who prayed that prayer, look up here at me. Look up here. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want to ask you three questions. Number one, do you know God loves you? 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 Sweetheart, do you know God loves you? Just nod your head. Do you know God loves you? Do you know God loves you, sir? Do you know God loves you? There in the balcony, do you know God loves you? Just nod your head. you know he loves you? you know he loves you? The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Sir, do you know he loves you? God loves you, he really does. And let me ask you a second question. You know that Christ died for you on the cross? You know that Christ died for you on the cross? You nod your head. You know Christ died for you on the cross? Sweetheart, do you know he died for you? 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 Sir, do you know he died for you? Do you know he died for you? The Bible says Christ died for our sins. That means if you'd been the only person, you're so special that Jesus would have died just for you. Isn't it good? You're that special. Sir, you're that special. You're that special. You're that special. Hey, you're that special. If you'd been the only person, he'd have died just for you. Then let me ask you a third question. Are you ashamed of Jesus? You're not ashamed of him, are you? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you ashamed of Christ? Young men, are you ashamed of Christ? Are you ashamed of Christ? Sweetheart, are you ashamed of Christ? You're not ashamed of him, are you? Girls, are you ashamed of Christ? You're not ashamed of him, are you? Sir, you're not ashamed of him. Sweetheart, you're not ashamed of him. There in the balcony, you're not ashamed of him. Oh, listen, Jesus is not ashamed of you. He went to the cross and he openly, publicly died there for you. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. If you ask Christ to come in your life, I'm going to ask you in just a moment. Brother Charles is going to be standing right here at the front. And I'm going to ask you to come and just stand right here in front of the preacher. And by you coming, you're saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. You're not ashamed of him, are you? Are you ashamed of Jesus? You're not ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of him. Sir, you're not ashamed of him, are you? You're not ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of him. Girls, you're not ashamed of him. I'm going to ask you to come. Now, you're not going to have to give a speech. I promise you that. He's not going to embarrass you anyway. All he's going to do is have a word of prayer with you, share with you things that's going to help you in your life as a Christian. And by you coming, you're saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. You're not ashamed of him, are you? You're not ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of him. Sir, you're not ashamed of him, are you? I'm going to say, every one of you, just stand up right now. Walk right here to the preacher. Come on. Come on. Come on, girls. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come. Come on over here, sir. Come. Come on. Out of the balcony. Come. Did you mean it? Did you mean it? Come on. Come. Did you mean it? Come on. Come on. Come on. Amen. Come on down here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Did you mean it? Come on. Come on. Don't be ashamed. Come on. Amen. Come. Girls, did you mean it? Did you mean it? Sweetheart, did you mean it? Come. Come on. Come. Come. Come on. 